This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. And it's game week number three already here in Happy Valley. The 2-0 Nittany Lions now ranked 10th nationally in the Associated Press Top 25 poll. Going to be hosting the number 22 Auburn Tigers under the lights of Beaver Stadium. The white atmosphere is back here in Happy Valley. The ESPN game day crew is going to be back here in Happy Valley. For now, we're back here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Going to take a few looks back look, looks back at the Ball State game, that 44-13 win. We, we spent a lot of time breaking that down Saturday night on our post-game podcast. Hopefully you check that out. And it's also on YouTube, of course, now on our channel at Lions 24-7. Sean, going to talk a little more Ball State, but we'll also jump right into this game week with Nathan King from Auburn Undercover, which is the 24-7 sports site for Auburn. He's going to help us get ready for this matchup right off the bat here on a Monday. Can't wait. It's an exciting week. Uh, we've been waiting for this one for, well, I guess a couple of years now. Um, and uh, Auburn coming to town, uh, whiteout scenario is just, you, you can't really ask for much more. Hopefully it's a, it's a nice weekend in the Valley, and hopefully they uh, they, they can continue to supply the kind of atmosphere worth cheering for. So uh, Penn State obviously uh, improved to 2-0 over the, over the weekend against Ball State. Also, Auburn 2-0. Record looks a little bit different than Penn State's 2-0, but uh, they, they nonetheless, they're coming in unblemished. So exciting week. Can't wait to, to talk about your football for the next couple of days. And that's a new coaching staff there at Auburn. A lot to jump into. We'll do that in just a bit with Nathan King. With this Ball State victory and a 31-point win on Saturday afternoon, Penn State goes up one spot. We weren't sure if that would happen because there's so many moving parts in the AP Top 25 coming out of this game. But they did indeed go from number 11 to number 10. Iowa with their win over Iowa State all the way up to number 5. Ohio State, due to their loss to Oregon, sliding from number three to number nine. Wisconsin, who we saw in week one, their number 18. And Michigan, who we'll see later coming to Happy Valley in November, now making their appearance at number 25. Lay all that out. You've got road trips coming up in October to two top 10 teams right now. But first things first, Auburn, number 22. Number 22. Uh, again, that's, it's a different 2-0 to your point. Penn State, how did they get there? Well, a, a very impressive defensive performance, did well to protect the ball in week one, came back home, and then did exactly what you would hope they would do against a team like Ball State, a, a very uh, impressive team in the MAC, but certainly out of their league against Penn State on Saturday. So, Sean, now that we've got eight quarters under our belt and a lot of guys out there on the field in week two, starting to get a better familiarity with this Nittany Lions squad. Yeah, there's some sort of hold on what kind of team this is. Uh, you know, the, the defenses look tremendous the first two weeks. So you think, it could this be an elite defense? You still point to those things we came into the season talking about, uh, lack of depth at spots at uh, spots like linebacker. But you had a guy like Jesse Luchetta step up, play in uh, play in the middle in, in in place of Ellis Brooks, who was out for the uh, the targeting call, and then move to defensive end. So mixing and matching, doing some good things there. 
Uh, saw safety, you know, not much Jaquan Brisker this week. I think it's the right call. Keep him as fresh as you can for, for a game like Auburn. So um, really uh, impressed with the defense, but still the jury's out. I mean, this is uh, Wisconsin's offense. Obviously, it's a, it's a top 25 team on the road. Still does not take anything away from the win. But Wisconsin's offense leaves a lot to, to be desired, especially in that first week with Graham Mertz really looking kind of lost out there and and I'm sure part of that was Penn State's defense. Part of that was Graham Mertz. But you just kind of keep wondering. Two two game samples are are, are very misleading, oftentimes, and um, one game samples are even more misleading. Hello, Florida State. So um, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where you're going to continue to to monitor this progress, cautiously optimistic though. And you look at what happened in Columbus on Saturday, and you now think Penn State one of, if not the best team in the Big Ten. I know Iowa had a great win last week uh, as well, so they certainly deserve to be the, the highest ranked right now. But Penn State, if they continue to come along, continue to do these uh, these little things right and get better, um, they should be in a good spot, uh, not only this weekend, but beyond. Uh, looking at the Ball State tape, not going to spend too much time on it. It was pretty straightforward. It was a lot of what we said after the game on Saturday. Um, still some things to, to clean up. Uh, Sean Clifford, I think, uh, and you know, another a small step forward. And the numbers were good. Uh, obviously, playing against a different opponent uh, helped there, but uh, he's going to have to continue to make these strides and and really become a guy that can throw a guy open, that can make a tough throw, something like that. And that that's something that we really haven't seen a ton of. And he didn't have to do it, obviously, um, against Ball State, but uh, still some some room for growth there. But um, no turnovers through two games is a good sign on on number fourteen. No turnovers is a great sign for number 14 and for this offensive offensive group collectively, particularly in that road matchup with a lot of guys who weren't tested in that environment like we talked about last week after the Wisconsin win. Uh, but I think you look at that and and were there chances for a lot of turnovers? I feel like against Wisconsin, there were a few passes, particularly in that first half, where you think, well, boy, Sean Clifford can't be throwing that pass. That is way too familiar from what we saw when things were going really bad in 2020. Didn't have a lot of those moments against the Ball State defense. As we said, the athleticism gap was apparent. Uh, I thought Penn State schemed them up very well, too. And 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 Ball State just did not do a good job of wrapping up, and that's what they had to do in this game to really be able to contain Penn State's offensive attack. That didn't happen, but I, I felt like Sean Clifford, starting with him, did a really nice job of not putting the ball in harm's way often when he missed. It was often to the sideline toward the back of the end zone. Uh, there was one pass that and I think you said he probably couldn't get away with against a team like Auburn or some of the teams they'll face in the Big Ten that Cam Sullivan Brown came down with. There was a, a ball that was underthrown toward Jahan Dotson that Dotson was able to get uh, in contention for it, but that's a play that if you're going up against a top-tier defensive back, they'll probably come down with an interception there. Those are a couple examples, but nothing glaring, and I think that's a good thing. There was no your heart drops moment where you think what could Sean Clifford possibly be looking at in that circumstance that didn't pop up uh, in game two. And, and that's what you'd want to see against an opponent that, that you do have a, a significant advantage across the field as a starting quarterback. I'll say it, it didn't pop up much. Some of the same things that we saw before in terms of the happy feet and, you know, just getting your, getting himself off balance and then throwing from that platform is, is where he's really struggled. And that's where he's turned the ball over in the last couple of years. A little bit of that's still there. So that's concerning on that end. But, um, you know, when you can run the ball like they did when they went, you know, especially for him taking off for that 43 yard run, they're going to need that. I know everybody wants to completely abandon the quarterback run after last season, but they're going to need a little bit of that in the offense going to open some things up. Uh, the running back still looking for room. The offensive line still coming together. Um, you know, I think they, they took a step forward this week, but you know, they, you consider the, the, the opponent in that one, uh, because, 
they were not pushing Wisconsin around. They did a little bit of a better job against Ball State. Um, Ball, State Ball State actually schemed pretty well for Penn State, um, kept uh, Dotson in front of them, kept all those receivers in front of them. Clifford, of course, missed that ball down the field to, to Keandre Lambert-Smith, which is one he would like to have back. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they did a nice job of, of spreading things out, making them go side to side. I know the running backs went side to side quite a bit. Um, and, and just uh, keep those safeties uh, ahead of the play, and, and they did a really nice job. So that's probably the blueprint that you're going to see moving forward is teams that will, um, you know, be be a little bit more athletic, try and pull that off, and that's uh, that's something that you have to be prepared for. I'm sure Mike Yersich is is certainly prepared for it. So um, some steps in the right direction for Sean Clifford, but still some of those lingering things that we didn't like to see um, coming into the season and and, and with last season. So um, you know you, you got to play the guy that's in front of you. They did a good job of that. Um, you know, you look at the, you look at the numbers, 32 first downs, which is the second most of the Franklin era. That's something they're going to need on, uh, on Saturday night. That's something they didn't have against Wisconsin. You know, they came through, as we mentioned after the game, six of 13 on third downs and set themselves up in a better position, kind of got ahead of schedule or, or probably we'll call that on schedule. They were on uh, way behind schedule against Wisconsin, probably a little bit more on schedule against uh, ball state over the weekend. So those are the things with the offense that you would like to pick up and, and, and try and run with. We got a few more thoughts on the defense and special teams as well. Just a few more things from Ball State and our five-star mailbag. But we've got him right now. He's got a busy day on his beat. We don't want to waste his time. Let's bring in uh, our very new friend and very good friend this week because I've been already following his coverage of the Tigers, Nathan King, who is with Auburn Undercover. Does great work covering that squad for 24-7 Sports, and he's kind enough to join us here on the Game Week, Lions 24-7 Podcast. Nathan, thanks for the time, and uh, welcome to week three. Yeah, of course. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. I, I know you're still about an hour or so, maybe a couple hours off from, from your game week press conference there. We've got ours coming up on Tuesday, but we got some sample size now of both these squads, and we want to pick your brain on Auburn. 2-0, and a couple blowout wins. Not sure what to make of these two opponents. Can you kind of give us some general early indications of what this 2021 Auburn football team is through two games. Yeah. So Auburn had, I think SP plus had him like the number, the th third toughest schedule in the country for this season, which is pretty standard for Auburn. But if you were to just go these first two games, I, I you'd be hard pressed to find an easier one. Um, you're playing Akron, which might be one of the, might be the worst team in college football. Um, that's one of the only times I've ever watched a game and gotten like frustratingly mad at the other team because they were so bad. Like it was actually kind of maddening how bad they were, especially on defense. Um, and then you play a FCS team in, in week two. Um, yeah, so Auburn won those two games 122 to 10 combined. It was their first time scoring 60 points in back-to-back -back games, 60 or more points in back-to-back -back games since 1936. Um, and beating Alabama State 62 to zero was the largest margin of victory in Brian Harson's coaching career. All of that sounds really great to start off. And I think the number one thing that, that people who aren't super close to the Auburn program and don't follow Auburn very closely like like Penn State fans. The number one thing to know from those games is not necessarily the score, um, but it's just the way Auburn looked on offense in terms of their execution. One of the knocks of the Gus Malzahn era was playing down to some of these kinds of opponents. Um, it was funny to, you know, Florida State losing to Jacksonville State. Auburn almost lost to Jacksonville State back in 2015. I was at that game um, because they were just notorious for playing down in some of these games, especially in 11 a.m. spots, early morning kickoffs. They felt some of that against Alabama State, but were able to rebound pretty well. And so I myself am a little bit more confident about what Auburn can do in Happy Valley after these first two weeks. But I mean, it's really kind of cautious optimism because 
these two teams were really terrible that they just faced. But at the same time, there's something to be said. They have the number one scoring offense in the country now, number one scoring defense. Um, I think there's something to be said for taking care of your business when you're supposed to, when the teams are bad and you're supposed to go out there and play well. So we'll figure out a lot more about the Sovereign team on Saturday. I think it'll be kind of the true litmus test of, of where they are in year one under Harson. Yeah, what, what could you even take from that in terms of individual performances? Obviously, Bo Nick's going to be uh, in the crosshairs for everybody this week. But, I mean, what do you get out of that in terms of is this a good team? Can this be a good team? Or you just kind of throw that in the in the wash and, and see what comes out later? I think you – yeah, I think you get a couple takeaways. Um, Bo Nix, like you said, and the defense are probably the biggest ones for me. Um, and we'll start with Bo because I think uh, – and I was talking about this with Josh Pate a couple months ago – like. I think him and Sean Clifford are actually pretty similar in terms of their trajectories as quarterbacks. Um, and I can't speak for, I don't know a ton about Sean Clifford and I can't certainly can't speak for Penn state fans, but um, I think both are guys that are viewed as having pretty high ceilings as really talented quarterbacks, but they just haven't put it all together yet. And one of the reasons they haven't put it all together yet is because they make head scratching mistakes um, and they're not super consistent. That's been Bo Nix first, first two seasons um, college football fans around the country. Remember, that game-winning touchdown pass to beat Oregon. They remember him beating Alabama his freshman year, being spectacular, one of the best quarterback performances I've ever seen against Alabama in that game. Last year was a little shakier, um, but he's now on his third offensive coordinator in as many seasons in Mike Bobo, and the offense is getting completely overhauled. Let's be honest, under Gus Malzahn, didn't matter who his offensive coordinator was. It was Gus Malzahn, no matter how many times he said he wasn't calling the plays. It was the Gus Malzahn offense. Uh, but now it's kind of a pro-style sort of mesh spread setup with, uh, with Harson and Mike Bobo. And I was interested to see how he would react and how the offense would execute in the first couple of weeks. But again, that was the number one thing to me in that first game. They came out and scored a touchdown on their first five drives and probably could have done their first six if they hadn't been working up against the half. The execution wasn't there at the beginning of the game against Alabama State, and that gave me a little bit of concern. Um, they were able to bounce back in the second half. But that's the number one thing to me to keep an eye on right now early in the season and that we're kind of taking away is that I think – this offense will do better to, to take advantage of Bo Nix's strengths than Gus Malzahn. Uh, Gus Malzahn kind of drives his, for everything he does well as a coach, he kind of drives his quarterbacks into the ground. It's just something he did uh, toward the end of his Auburn career. And then the defense was something I was going to be looking at. You know, under Kevin Steele, he's no longer there as their defensive coordinator, but they were pretty nasty for five years under him. They were consistently a top 10, top 15 unit. Does that continue under former Vanderbilt coach Derek Mason as their D.C.? Um, and I think there's no way it doesn't. I mean, they have looked really, really good in these first two games. Again, you've got the caveat of, of the level of talent that you're facing, which is not very good. But I do think they are going to make for, I understand Penn State has a really good defense at the beginning of the season too. I think they're going to make for a, for a defensive slugfest here. I think these two defenses going at it while the, the offenses are still kind of figuring things out. I think that's probably what we're in for on Saturday. Nathan, considering the way the schedule laid out for, for Auburn, I assume they are exactly where the fan base thought they would be at 2-0 uh, and internally where they thought they would be at 2-0. How much anticipation has there been for this trip up the Happy Valley, particularly since they got that whiteout label and now Penn State's 2-0? What, what are the vibes like about this matchup five, six days out? I mean, people have been talking about – I think this game was announced in like 2017. Um, people have been talking about this for years. This is – this is something that Auburn fans are really, really excited to not only watch and see how the Harson era starts out of their first big game, but um, to go to Happy Valley. I think I was looking this more. I think Auburn's only played three true road games against Big Ten teams ever. Um, this is just not something Auburn does super often is play a really high profile out of conference game on the road 
Um, you see them do it in Dallas in a season opener or Atlanta in a season opener. Um, they did it with Clemson a couple of times, but that's kind of, that's a little bit of an old rivalry. And so that wasn't anything super special. Um, yeah, this is the one, I mean, this is, this has been circled on Auburn fans calendars for a really long time for both. Like we talked about, like the, the geography and, and, and two historic programs getting together. Um, but also if you can get a win in this game, if you're Auburn, um, I think this is this is actually a really good setup for Auburn. I don't know how Penn State feels about what this game means for their schedule, but I think it's obviously not a win-win because if you lose, you lose. But if Auburn loses this game, I don't think many people are going to say, well, you know, Harson is just not going to get it done. He's not the guy for them. I mean, it's a really tough road spot. It's their wide-out game. I mean, the fans are going to be going crazy. It's going to be a raucous environment to try to get your offense going in its third game of the season. People aren't really going to fault them that much, I think. But on the flip side, if you win, it's 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 a huge win for the rest of the season. It's a huge win for momentum. It's a huge win going into SEC play. Um, so this is a really good situation for Auburn, I think, either way. Um, and they feel really confident about it. You were talking about internally. They feel like they've executed better in these first couple of games than they thought they would. Um, and that speaks to the preparation of this team because one of the things about Brian Harson looking back at Boise State, um, didn't always have the best talent in the world, but he knew how to get the most of it. He was a really good in-game coach, and I think we're seeing that through the first couple of weeks. You saw Bo Nix struggle at times last year in that offense. What, what kind of responsibilities have changed for him? Um, and are, are they taking a little bit off of his plate? Because it, it sounds like we're having the exact same conversation. I'm sure on your Auburn Undercover <laughs> yeah. podcast is all Bo Nix all the time, like we are with Clifford. Um, but what kind of changes have been made to sort of make up for some of the deficiencies, some of the things that he struggled for in the past? Yeah, and actually, actually the first couple of games, it's been a little refreshing. It hasn't been all Bo Nix. There's been enough nuances and, and new things being implemented by the staff. They've got new schemes on both sides of the ball. Um, so the people have been interested in different things. So it hasn't just been hammering on Bo Nix like they have the past couple of years, but um, that he said nice. he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's been a, it's been a good time. We'll see. Um, he is traditionally not good in big road games, um, particularly his freshman year. I can't remember what his QBRs were against LSU and Florida. Obviously, those are you know those are great defenses. Right. Um, really bad, just basically inept. And then last year against Georgia and Alabama on the road again, we're talking about phenomenal teams here, um, but also really really bad. He just does not play well on the road, save for maybe a couple games in his career. But in this new offense, he's got a little bit more freedom. Um, that's something Mike Bobo allows. Not necessarily checks at the line of scrimmage, um, but more option routes. You know, understanding you know where a receiver is going before the play starts. And I know that sounds pretty fundamental. But in Gus Malzahn, Gus Malzahn's offense, receivers didn't really run routes. It's kind of it's kind of hard to describe, but receivers would leave Auburn and they would talk about how they didn't really learn a route tree. Um, they would have one designated spot they were going to every play. There was never any option. There was never any changing depending on the coverage. Um, and that obviously frustrated Auburn fans to no end. So I think this is a little bit more mature of a passing game. I think Mike Bobo and Brian Harson know what they're doing. I don't think Gus Malzahn knows how to build a passing game very well right now, but um, the biggest thing for me is the tight ends and the running backs. That's a Mike Bobo staple. Um, Auburn's only had a tight end catch double-digit passes back in 2014. CJ Uzama, who's now with the Bengals. Um, and they've got a tight end right now who has seven catches through the first two games. So seems pretty uh, seems pretty clear they're going to reach that number. And then kind of flaring out passes to the, to the running backs out of the backfield. Everybody knows Tank Bixby. He's really good whenever you can get the ball in his hands. Sean Shivers, their backup, is pretty good too. And then they've got a freshman in Jarquez Hunter who is actually the leading rusher on the team through two games and he broke an Auburn record for the longest run in program history last week. So uh, he's a pretty good little freshman. And so those, those for Knicks, I think are going to be really big in this game in particular, because he hasn't been bothered very much. I'm not super convinced on this offensive line right now. 
And I know Penn State's defensive front is one of the strengths of the team. I think he'll be bothered in this game and he'll need those tight ends or running backs because I don't know if he'll necessarily have a lot of time to look downfield. Yeah, was, that's what I wanted to take it was let's continue the theme of shifting away from Bo Nix in the conversation mm -hmm. and those running backs, two guys through two games over 200 yards. That's when you know things are going well. I don't care who you're playing against when the ground game's going like that. Can you kind of describe ideally what Auburn would like to do in this contest from a, a rushing game perspective? Yeah, they've been they've been saving Tank Bigsby because he's had you know, he's had a handful of big runs. Um, pretty much, if he wanted to, he could have gone for like three hundred in both these games. You know, if they handed it to him thirty times again, these defenses were just absolutely atrocious. Um, but they're going to ride him in this one. I think you're going to see it in this, and you're going to see it throughout SEC play. That's why they're kind of pulling their punches here in these non-conference games. Um, he's the best player on their offense by a, by a very significant margin. Um, and he's probably one of the most talented players on the entire team. He'll be an NFL running back for a long time, I think. Um, one of the best tailbacks in the country. But it's just a matter of this offensive line getting out and doing what they need to do in front of him. I do think this offensive line is improved from last season. It's one of those situations where you've got – so you had eight returners who started a game last year along the offensive line. Um, that sounds really good in theory, but they weren't that good. So it's, you know, it's your returning experience that isn't necessarily um, the most productive in the world. I do think they've been a little bit better this season. I like what they've done in terms of the starting five. It seems like they've got them ironed out right now. Um, particularly on the left side. I like what they did left tackle um, and left guard, a couple of veteran players there that are that are performing at a high level at the start of the season. Um, talking about the tailbacks, I do not think Penn State fans will see Sean Shivers on Saturday. He was not in the stadium uh, this past weekend. We're gonna, I'm going to ask Carson about it, like you said, in a couple hours. Um, that leads me to believe that it's some sort of COVID protocol. Obviously, never one of us assume anything. You know, it could be anything. Um, but that's kind of been the theme. We would see players miss a practice on a Saturday and then not be available for another couple weeks. They'd just be completely gone. So kind of going with that theme, you're probably going to see a lot of Jarquez Hunter, um, the freshman running back, backing up Tank Bixby. But, yeah, I don't think they're going to put this one on Bo Nix. They're going to try to establish this run game. And if Penn, Penn State can stop it, which I understand they they probably can, they're, they're talented defensive front, um, then I think you've got some problems because they're going to have to be pretty creative in how to attack this Penn State defense with the passing game. Go, going into an atmosphere like this, big plays, obviously everybody wants to hit big plays. I mean, it's not any college football secrets we're talking about here, but um, who who can deliver that for Auburn? Where, who's Who does Penn State have to keep a particular eye on and, and, to, and keep in front of them for the most part? Yeah, you got to tackle Bigsby at the line of scrimmage um, because his tackle breaking ability was just absurd last season. I can't remember the exact uh, numbers from like pro football focus and stuff, but um, his yards after contact were crazy. And if you watch him play, I mean, it, it, you can't arm tackle him. You've got to probably have two or three guys to be able to bring him down. Um, that's the source of the explosive. That's probably where it starts for Auburn's offense. At receiver, you know, last year I would have given you a really easy answer. answer. Seth, Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz. I was trying to say Anthony. Uh, a couple guys now in the NFL, they were great receivers for Bo Nix for two or three years. Now they're kind of overhauling that receiving core. I like what they've got right now. I think – if you were to, to need an answer at receiver, Demetrius Robertson, who's a Georgia transfer, he kind of came into his own this past game. Again, not sure what really to take away from these first two games of the season. But other than him, who had, I think he had 99 career receptions between Cal and Georgia. Um, so, he's, you know, it's a great veteran to add to your team in the transfer portal. Other than him, this is a very unproven <clears throat> receiving core. Lots of talent, lots of four-star guys in over the past few years. But um, your guess is probably as good as mine. I think this is the game we're probably going to find out who can make those explosive plays for Auburn down the field in the passing game, because to be honest, we haven't seen it. I mean, Robertson has done it at stops in the past, 
these Auburn receivers that are young have done it once or twice in their careers, um, but never at a consistent level. So that's something where, again, if they can stop Bigsby, Penn State might have a pretty good advantage in this game because these receivers have not done this before. They have not you know, had a lot of production in a really big spot in a big game like this. Sometimes around here, it feels like Sean Clifford has been around forever at Penn State. Demetrius Robertson is a class ahead of Sean Clifford, number one wide receiver in the 2016 recruiting class. It's a name that we remember resurfacing now in the SEC for a second time. And, uh, and you know, State, certainly a guy you got to watch. There. Yeah, Penn State kicked the tires there as a, as a transfer, too, and he ended up going to Auburn. Pretty good situation for him down there. Um, but yeah, he's, he's obviously, it's like, uh, George Campbell a couple of years ago, went fl from Florida state. He was supposed to come to Penn state, went to, to uh, ended up at West Virginia cause he, they didn't get into the graduate program here at Penn state, but some of that athleticism never goes away. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things you got to keep your eye on. You know, it's why five stars that don't produce in college sometimes end up getting drafted and having pretty decent NFL careers. So it's gotta be, got to account for that talent all the, you know, all the way across the board. That's right. Hey, thanks for the lowdown on offense. Can, can we talk defense now? Because, like you said, quarterback is often the conversation here. Everyone wants to see what Sean Clifford is going to do on a week-by-week -week basis, and uh, this seems like a significant test. He faced one in week one going to Wisconsin, but what does Auburn present defensively, and you know, how much can you actually take away from those first two games in, term of, in terms of how they're going to attack a quarterback? Yeah, so really a lot of eyes were on the defensive line for Auburn in those first couple games because um, there were a lot of proven commodities elsewhere. Auburn has three of the better linebackers, I think, in the country. Um, Zacoby McLean tied, I can't remember the guy from Troy, but he tied um, for the nation's lead in tackles last season, and he didn't even start the first two games. So he's a tackling machine. He's already up to 17 tackles in just two games. Um, Owen Papo will be playing in the NFL next year. He's a former five-star guy, probably the most athletic player on the entire roster. And then a guy named Chandler Wooten. Um, he's playing a star position. It's a really fun position to watch. Uh, I just rewatched the game last night, and um, he was rolling back to safety. He was putting his hand in the dirt. He was coming down as a pure pass rusher in addition to just his standard linebacker duties. And so he was a guy who opted out last season um, for the birth of his son. And now he's back with the team. Fifth year player brings lots of veteran experience there. Um, they've got a couple NFL players in the secondary as well. Smoke Monday. I think a lot of fans know his name. One of the best names in the sport. Um, he'll be in the NFL next year. He's made a lot of big plays, a um, couple pick sixes in his career. He's a big play waiting to happen back there. At safety, and then Roger McCreary is a guy that could have gone probably fourth, fifth round, I think is where people had him last year. But he decided to come back for his senior season at cornerback. He and Nehemiah Pritchett, who had an 80-yard touchdown off a blocked field goal last week, um, are a pretty athletic duo at corner. I had never seen Pritchett get out in the open and, and just kind of hit the gas, but he's one of the fastest guys on the team. So you can talk about those two groups all day. The defensive line had a lot of unknowns. Um, Big Cat Bryant transferred out, Daquan Newkirk transferred out, and then right before – um, fall camp, a guy named Tyrone Truesdale, who is going into his third season as their anchor there on the interior D-line. He's going to be playing starting nose tackle. Um, he was removed from the team. So those are three kind of starting adjacent players. I think Newkirk was the only true starter, but they were guys that were basically starters for Kevin Steele's defense. Those are guys you're going to have to replace. Um, Tony Fair is a transfer from UAB. He's done the best job in there at nose tackle. Um, Colby Wooden had the second most tackles for loss in the SEC last year among, among freshmen. Um, that number was behind only Will Anderson from Alabama. People know he's pretty good. Um, and then Derek Hall is probably their, their best pure pass rusher on this defensive line. So Hall and Wooden are the ones you've got to account for. Um, dating back to the Akron game, Akron schemed up to block those guys in particular. Um, and so a guy named TD Moultrie, who's a fifth-year senior, was able to have two sacks in that game. 
because he said after the game he knew they were focusing on those two defensive linemen, so he was going to have some opportunities. So maybe maybe a chance for them to create some some pressure for Penn State. I don't think this is a very proven pass rush. I think what this defensive line does better is create havoc in the backfield. They've already created two, 22 negative plays um, through the first two games of the season. I don't know where that ranks nationally, but I think that's a pretty good clip. And so just kind of the front seven overall under Derek Mason, it seems like they've they've come along pretty well. Again, <clears throat> Kevin Steele didn't leave the cupboard bare. Um, this is a loaded defense. It's really good. It's probably the third or fourth best unit in the conference on defense. Um, and I think they're going to give Penn State a lot of problems, and that's why I think you know whoever gets 24 points first in this game is is probably going to have a pretty good chance of winning it. You guys haven't uh, had. Um, I assume you haven't had many players or anything like that. But what's the what's the chatter in terms of uh, looking ahead to the whiteout? What's the perception of the whiteout for these guys? Um, and and how much do you think that kind of atmosphere can have an effect on a team that's played? Yeah, as you said, one of the the weakest schedules in the country to date. They're very excited. This is something that guys in the program have been talking about for a couple years now, um, and particularly this season, just because of the strange nature of of coming back from a COVID year. Um, I'm sure Penn State was like this over the weekend, but um, I mean, the Akron game, Auburn season opener, it felt like an SEC atmosphere because people were so excited to be back in the stadium. The student section um, was going nuts, and players were feeding off like, off that like crazy. That might have been one of the reasons for their. Um, strong execution at the beginning of that game. But as much as, you know, it is a home field advantage for Penn State, you know, it's, it's I think, in a whiteout game, it's probably pretty tough to go in there um, and be able to run your offense in the way that you want to. Um, they're really looking forward to it because, again, you know, this is something that uh, guys on the offense talked about last season when when S, even like the SEC stays. I went to the Iron Bowl and it was like not super, not super crazy in Tuscaloosa. Um, they kind of missed that. You know, they said that that it fires them up when they get on the road and, you know, the entire stadium is turned against them. Everybody wants them to fail. Um, some players, you know, are rattled by that, but there's a lot of guys who, whose competitive spirit is kind of uh, is kind of stoked by that. And so that's something that, you know, Bo Nix said it. Um, his center, Nick Brahms, said it last year. I think Owen Papo said it as well, that they were looking forward to that this year, going into hostile environments, um, just because they haven't been able to scratch that itch um, since like midway through the 2019 season was the last time they had a really big road game. And so all that talk is fun. You know, you can say that over and over again. That makes for a good quote, but... Um, I'm just interested to see how they actually respond. Ken Bo Nix put together a complete performance um, in only his third game in a new offense in in what has been a really tough spot. We talked about before him going into playing a top 15, top 20 teams, playing ranked teams on the road has not boded very well um, for him over the past couple seasons. So we'll see how it goes. When you look at this Auburn team coming up to Penn State, ultimately, when you say this is a make or break scenario for them, what is it right now? I know you've got four days to talk to guys about the game and what's the most important elements. And we're just getting started on game week, but just early on perspective, what do you got? Are you sorry? You're asking whether this is a make or break game. No, what do you think are, is a make or break element for, for Auburn? I see. Yeah, I see. Um, man, they've got to get some explosive plays like you guys talked about. Um, I really don't think this is going to be a high scoring game. And so they've got to find somebody who's going to be able to break away that wide receiver, um, Anthony Schwartz was really good at that. He was, I mean, he's probably was the fastest guy in college football past couple seasons. Um, if the safety doesn't see him coming and is stepping the other way, uh, he's, I mean, if, if Nick's is able to hit him, which he overthrew him a few times, um, you know, we'll see if somebody's able to step into that mode, that mold. Um, Javarius Johnson is a name I, I'm probably gonna, gonna peg as the X factor for this game. Um, he's, he's kind of taking over that slot role and he's a really fast player in his own right, didn't really play in his first couple seasons with Auburn because of injuries, but he has been there. He was the breakout star of spring practice 
immediately took over a starting role at wide receiver and then had a really good fall camp. So he missed the last game with an ankle injury. But from what I was told, it was, you know, they're just saving him. It really um, wasn't too serious or anything like that. He definitely could have played if they needed him to, but they were sidelining him to, to let him get some extra rest. So that's it for me. That that's, that's the one I'm going to be looking at um, is whether Auburn can, can create some explosive plays to kind of offset what I don't think will be super crisp execution on offense. If I'm wrong, Auburn probably wins this game. If if I'm wrong and this offense comes out there and is humming on all cylinders like they did against Akron and and looks really good in only their third game, then then they'll probably they'll probably win this game. But I just I just don't see it. I don't I don't see them coming out in this environment against. I mean, Penn State's defense is probably a top 15 unit in the country right now, maybe top 10 um, to come out in this environment and, and get that job done. I don't see that happening. So in order to in order to get close to to kind of replicating that. I think you're going to need some explosive play. So if Penn State can keep the lid on, that probably gives James Franklin's team a, a pretty good shot at coming out with a win. Covered Once offense, again, defense, uh, special teams, anything jump out to is. you about uh, about uh, the Tigers, what they do well, whether returning, kicking the ball, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, kicking the ball, that's something you've got to certainly keep an eye on. Anders Carlson, people remember um, his older brother, Daniel Carlson. He's currently the SEC's leading scorer of all time. That probably won't get broken for a while. Uh, Carlson had a, had a pretty shaky first couple years as a starter at Auburn, but I can't remember the exact numbers right now, but since midway through the 2019 season, and he went like six of six with a pair of 50 yard field goals in that 20, that crazy 2019 iron bowl game. Um, I think he's only missed like one kick in like the last two years. Um, he's made like 24 out of his last 25, something like that, three or four 50 yarders in there. Um, I think the only one he missed was like from 45. So, I mean, the only reason I bring up a kicker in this situation is because I think this is a close game. Um, I don't, I don't really see Auburn or I don't really see Penn state covering um, that seven, unless they kind of like, like we talked about before, unless they limit everything and this offense really can't get going because we've seen in the past um, where Auburn's offense doesn't get rolling in the first quarter. And if the other teams, like if Penn state gets a pick six and they already had a couple touchdowns on the board and it's 21, nothing in the second quarter, um, this one might get a little bit ugly. But to me, I just see Auburn kind of scratching and clawing their way. I think they've got enough talent on both sides of the ball. And so you never know. I don't know how good Penn State's kicker is, but, you know, this is certainly one of those games where you look at where that might be, you know, a bit of an advantage for you. I think Auburn, I think he's the second or first or second best kicker in the SEC, in my opinion. And so um, that might be a situation where that comes into play by the end, by the end of the game. Well, it sounds like some boys can kick, man. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The bloodline is very strong. It it sounds like you are leaning one way for this game based on recent feedback from you. It also sounds like you're 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 just not right, quite ready to give this Auburn offense and Bo Nix the benefit of the doubt. So with that said, on a Monday here of game mm-hmm. week, are you can you offer up a, a prediction at this point? And even if you can't give us a score, at least where you're leaning and why? Yeah, I don't I'll probably wait till for the score just because I mean I haven't racked my brain through everything yet. And honestly I haven't done a ton of my own personal research on on Penn State yet this week, but I mean, I'm leaning Penn state. Again, I think it's a situation where I think Penn state can have a sloppier game and still come out with a win. Um, It's a great home environment for them. Um, I think, you know, even if the defense is able, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Clifford throws an interception or two. Again, I've been very impressed by this defense in the first couple games, but um, this kind of atmosphere and this kind of setting and where this game falls, I think lends itself for, for Penn state to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, if Auburn pulls this off and scores 38 points and Bo Nix and the offense look really good, um, look out in the SEC, I think, because LSU is not very good this year, I think. Um, 
you know, Texas A&M, I know they had the quarterback injury situation, um, but that doesn't look like a very scary team this season. And so I think that this gives Auburn an opportunity to flirt with double-digit wins if they're able to win this game because your your SEC opener is LSU in a couple weeks, and you're riding this momentum. All of a sudden, you're 4-0, ranked number eight in the country or something like that, going into Baton Rouge trying to win there for the first time since 1999. So this would be an absolutely monster win for the momentum um, of Brian Harson's first season. Like we talked about before, it's not a killer if he loses. I mean, they could still lose and go beat LSU in a couple weeks. I mean, I think that's a huge possibility. Um, but just in terms of predicting this game, like you said, it's early in the week, but I don't see myself changing my tune. I've been thinking for the past couple months, really kind of scoping out both these teams that, that Penn State's probably got this game. And so um, I will lean Penn State, but it, but I, I think early on, I might change later in the week. I do not think they'll they'll cover that touchdown spread. I think Auburn, you know, either, either it'll be really close all the way through and Penn State will pull it out, or they'll kind of get a, a consolation score at the end to, to keep it a little closer than that spread. But I'll, I'll probably pick Penn State on Monday. Well, Nathan, we appreciate it a lot that you just gave us on Auburn. If we can be of assistance, you know, helping you get prepared for Penn State and your coverage, you know, just just reach out at any point this week. We'll let you get ready for your press conference. Thanks for hopping on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the week. Thanks, Nathan. Sean, that was awesome. I mean, I I think he did an excellent job on both sides of the ball, even some special teams perspective. And just also, you know, laying it out there, they've put up a lot of points. They've put up a lot of yards, 2-0. But what do you really know about Auburn remains to be seen. And, and everybody down there is waiting to see what happens when they head up to Beaver Stadium. And they have a lot of respect for that environment. Yeah. And the thing about that is, and, and obviously you're going to respect an opponent like uh, like Auburn. You're never going to overlook a, a team that has a tradition like that. But they put up 60 points against Akron. You feel pretty good about it. And then all of a sudden Akron comes out the next week and loses by three touchdowns to, uh, Temple. to Temple, who yeah. lost to Rutgers. And the transit of property is not kind to the Auburn wins right now. So, um, but, but I, I agree with him. I think they got potential. They've got a defense that can run um, that, you know, they they're probably Penn state. If you're going to attack a spot attacks up front. And right now we've seen Penn state's running game has been a little bit slow to start the season. So, you know, maybe that's one of those uh, scenarios, one of those matchups that plays into the favor of Auburn, but it's so funny because like we went into that week one game against Wisconsin thinking, is Penn state good? We don't know. Is Wisconsin Mm. good? We don't know we're going into week three and we kind of feel the same way about Auburn because these first two wins kind of hollow. I mean, it's impressive that they've taken care of what's in front of them and that's exactly what they're supposed to do with that schedule. Um, but there's, there's very little that you can take away. Um, and it's tough to, to like Sean Clifford, not lean on Bo Nix and say, this guy in, in pressure situations last year was awful. And all of a sudden, you know, how is he going to handle the, his first whiteout? So that, that I think there's there's plenty of questions about Auburn. I, I I see where he's coming from. I think the defense can be really good. I think you have playmakers. Tank Bigsby's awesome. I, I agree with him there that he's going to be an NFL back. So they have pieces and spots. But what we've seen from them for the first two weeks just leaves you with more question marks about is, is, can this, is this a team that can compete with a top 10, top 15 team? Yeah, and, and Auburn feels like a team that, as they get rolling under a new staff, could be playing some pretty good football and SEC competition as that as that gets going six, seven weeks down the line. I think you're getting them at a good time right now where their program is. If you're Penn State, particularly the, the scenario of what's going to play out on, on Saturday night in Beaver Stadium with the surroundings. But it, in some ways, it, you'd go back to week one and think, is Graham Mertz good? And you apply that to Bo Nix. Now, Bo Nix has a, a more of a deeper track record than a five-touchdown performance at Illinois in an opener. Bo Nix has had some, some impressive performances in the SEC, but 
uh, some very frustrating low moments as well that it's have left which, Auburn fans wanting more. Yeah, it's which Bo Nix are you going to get? And that's mm-hmm. that could be four interception Bo Nix, it could be four touchdown Bo Nix. It's, it's really hard to say. So, um, you know, if I'm Brent Pry, I keep doing what I'm doing and pressuring the hell out of him early, yeah. making him make his mistakes. And, and, and even Nathan said, um, you know, you get a pick six or something that changes the entire dynamic of the game. So I, I, I expect more pressure early and, and, and really try and make Bo Nix think a lot. And that's the, you know, that's what we say about when you're trying to, uh, to, to scheme against Clifford, make that quarterback, try and process it quicker than it, and then it should be processed. And, and all of a sudden you might see a mistake or two. Expecting a timeout called by him on the first offensive play before the first offensive the play. First offensive. Yeah, uh, <laughs> when they go out there. And by the way, it's been good, Bo Nix, so far against, again, those two opponents, but five touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. So much like we talked about after the postgame podcast here on Saturday, just a little bit boring because, you know, Clifford's not turned the ball over. The, the narrative's a lot different in our postgame conversations down in Auburn. So far, so good. But this feels like a game, Bo Nix versus Sean Clifford. Kind of like Graham Mertz versus Sean Clifford, Clifford in week one. Who implodes a little bit? Who get who starts to look very uncomfortable in the pocket? Who forces some throws? It was Graham Mertz week one. I think if one of those guys start to fall into that trap with consistency, their team's going to be in big trouble in Beaver Stadium. Sean, just circling back to some of the stuff we were, we were discussing before Nathan joined us for that great conversation. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the way they approach things offensively. It was a few big plays, big shots at Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Dotson ha- had a long touchdown, another big game. Keandre Lambert Smith had a big game. Even Parker Washington took one for, for a big game. And so did Noah Kane on, on a long run. This time, I believe the longest play from scrimmage was 24 yards on that on that wheel route to, to Kevon Lee early in the matchup. 32 first downs, and you mentioned that second all-time under James Franklin. And I thought that was just very interesting to note. Um the, that that is is that an approach against Auburn here distributing the ball getting the ball out quickly uh, but you then you hear about all this athleticism on the field and you're reminded this ain't Ball State anymore uh, and quite frankly this is not Wisconsin when you're talking about the speed that the Tigers will bring I love Wisconsin's front seven but I think uh, from from the front to the back Auburn's going to be able to cover a lot more field uh, quicker than anyone Penn State has played here in 2021. Tighter windows, smaller holes, uh, just trying to, uh, to to be a little bit more precise. And that's the thing when I said earlier, Sean Clifford's got to throw some guys open, really hasn't had to do that over the first couple of weeks. So I'm very curious to see where the the offensive adjustments come. And, and you know, you, you want to throw to wide open receivers. Everybody wants to, but mm-hmm. at some point you're going to have to make those plays. And when a team like Auburn comes to town, you're, you're going to have to see that from him. And, um, you know, as much he said, they weren't talking about Bo Nix as much uh, in the first couple of weeks, but, we're still talking a lot about Sean Clifford here, and that's that, that's got to be the strides. And, um, you know, it's tough to give the benefit of the doubt when we saw what we saw last year, and then you see elements of it popping up. So uh, without trying to harp on it, I mean, that's that's got to be one of those guys that you continue to see growth in. And then, you know, it might be the 10th game of the season before we're giving – full due credit to, 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 to uh, Sean Clifford and, and, and how he's playing. If he's playing at that level that keeps them undefeated or keeps them going, uh, you know, in, in, with a really good record. It helps that he has Jahan Dotson on his side a couple of years ago in the whiteout situation. We saw Sean Clifford go deep to KJ Hamler, really build that big lead against Michigan, which they were able to hold on to late, uh, but able to go to KJ Hamler. Saquon Barkley is a guy who, who lit it up from the first play uh, a few years ago in the whiteout atmosphere. John Dotson feels like the obvious guy who could do that. We'll talk about that more later in the week with the preview, but 15th touchdown reception in his career. That's tied for 10th with current Penn State coach Terry Smith, Joe Jaravicious, and Mike Gesicki. Four consecutive games with a touchdown. Again, I'm just not sure 
defensively how teams are going to slow down or contain Jahan Dotson without leaving themselves very much open to getting exploited elsewhere. And that's going to be Sean Clifford's job to take advantage of as we, we continue. Defensively, Sean, just a few things from Ball State. Going back, really just you you watch this and Curtis Jacobs jumps off the off on a few different plays, and I thought that was big, important to see. his To me, his best game so far at the college level, you want to see that next step against Auburn. I think it's good for him to get a game in like this. He over-pursued a few times, was recovered. Sometimes he didn't recover. So I think there was a lot to learn from the experience against Ball State. And to me, if he can be flying around against Auburn, not overanalyzing the situation, uh, this is a guy that you can bring along a little bit here and and exciting. I mean, you've been high on him for a long time. It's just nice to start to see that that the steps being taken at linebacker because you can talk about how he fits a spot, but for him to actually go and, and show that in motion and operation, that's what you have to see. If you're going to miss, miss fast and miss aggressive. And you saw that and, and granted different opponent, different scenario or different circumstance being at home uh, versus being on the road at Wisconsin. And just a big jump from week one to week two from Curtis Jacobs. Really impressive with what he brought to the table. And he, I think he'll continue to get better. Um, and he's playing in an atmosphere like that. And, uh, you know, I retweeted the, the video of Luketa's pick six. I mean, if he if Luketa doesn't get to that one. Curtis Jacobs lands a truck stick on that running back. And, hmm. and that's what you want to see out of that guy, especially, you know, that that field linebacker, that that Sam spot probably has a little bit of a reputation of being a little softer, being a guy that's not involved. You know, you're not involved in the run game as much. You're you're out in the open field. So you're going to have that reputation as not a hitter, a guy that's probably more of a cover guy or something like that. And it's good to see that uh, that element come along in his game. So Curtis Jacobs, and this is a part of kind of what I was going to think about with the five-star mailbag, a lot of growth in that position um, with, with Jacobs, with those other guys at linebacker. And I uh, just was really impressed with the way that, you know, he made that leap from week one to week two. And hopefully kid's got a really high ceiling. So hopefully he continues to, to, to get there. And if he gets there, this quick that that's certainly good news for Penn State making a jump from week one to week two uh, just from preseason talk to where we are now the defensive end narrative has changed a bit now I want to say depth is still scary there's still a lot you got to figure out guys got to step up and prove it over the course of the thing where you say okay there's a fourth and fifth and sixth option that that okay you can count on these guys for extended snaps but Top heavy right now, not so much when they got a big lead on Ball State, but I think it'll be a top heavy approach against Auburn. You should have Luketa there full time uh, with Ellis Brooks fully available for you in week three. But that top three right now, Arnold Ebicati, Jesse Luketa, and of course the starter, Nick Tarburton, has been very solid, playing a lot of snaps. Those three, I think you, you're coming into week three feeling really good about that group and it was fair to say for different reasons uh, Arnold Ebicati's leap in competition Nick Tarburton's injury history and Jesse Luketa as an unknown commodity there uh, the, the jury was out for each guy in a different way and through two weeks a lot more to prove but man I think they've answered the bell and and it's a really you know significant boost for what this defense can do yeah and they like what they have in terms of you know you got three guys there that you can rotate through you'd love to have a fourth but those guys aren't quite there yet um Luketa, we, we were wondering if he could be a rotational piece but you know he's on the verge of being a difference maker in that at defensive end so um you know tarburton provides you with something you know it's something a little bit different but Luketa has made some splash plays over the first couple of weeks and that's really uh, i think probably above and beyond the the expectations there and he seems to have uh, just gone with it and, and made the most of it. And I agree. I think if he's going to play at the next level, it's going to be as an edge guy. Um, and he's certainly made the most of it. And uh, Penn State's better. Defense is better for the for the whole. 
defense depth a little bit better with with Ellis Brooks available from the first snap, although you're without Tyler Rudolph at safety for the first snap. He's a reserve guy. I just think overall, though, seemingly from what we know, this team is healthy through two games, a very physical game where you loaded up on snaps in week one. And of course, through preseason camp where things can go wrong from a personnel perspective, guys go down all the time and are suddenly lost. We're still wondering on a few of these players and why aren't they in pads on game day? That doesn't feel injury related based on everything we've seen. So I think that's important note here. It's a healthy Penn State squad. A lot of a lot of uh, you know reasons for that, and, and a tip of the cap to Galt and the nutrition, but some luck involved there. And it's a it's it's something that you'll take every single week as long as you can make it last. It can change at any point. But they're in a good place right now. I'm not touching that. That's all you. I'm not. I'm not the one that's <laughs> going to say they're healthy at this point. Uh, that's uh, that is all on Tyler Donahue at TD's Take. Check him out on on YouTube and Twitter. Yeah, they they're healthy at this point. I'll say it again, and then I'll, I'll really get the blame here. Stout. Uh, we we this is not the conversation that we jumped in even on the pre post game show, which is a good thing, right? That we weren't talking about Jordan Stout in the post game show. I figured we we should though. Three of four. He missed a forty five yarder wide. Um, three that were a couple that were inside the inside were the issues uh, against Wisconsin and the, and the operation was the issue. Rafa Cheka was once again, the holder and we saw no issues on extra points. They got every point that they needed and then some. Um, so just noting that stout did that. And then by the way, did his thing as a punter and a kickoff for specialist, no return yardage to speak of at all for the ball state Cardinals. And they had a lot of opportunities for kickoff returns, nine touchbacks and a 51.3 average for punt. So, a step in the right direction. You'd love to see four for four on the field goal mark, but it is a 45 yarder. Ultimately uh, they're getting a lot out of this guy for two weeks. And it's nice to put that week one issue in the rearview mirror and didn't see anything recur. Cause that would have been a major problem if it did. If you have seats near the field in the North end zone, Bring your gloves. Advise caution, <laughs> bring an umbrella or something. Yeah. Bring a glove like a baseball game. <laughs> yeah. uh, he is just, he is just killing the ball right now, just as a punter, as a kicker. I don't know what he found in the offseason um, in terms of like fundamentals or anything like that, but he looks great. He's doing some great things. Obviously, he had those, uh, you know, those issues and he had the issues with the, the missed extra point and the, missed, the short missed field goal. But he is booming the ball right now. Would like to see a little bit better on, on punt coverage. We talked in the first week about uh, covering punts and how they were always there at the receiver. Um, he's kicking the ball so far right now that, you know, he's getting touchbacks on 60, 70 yarders and Penn state's defense or excuse me, Penn state's gunners need to be a little bit more aware of where the ball is in the air. Um, and you saw it a couple of times the, the ball state return guy was coming up to, to deke them and, you know, just to make a, a, a fake catch and the ball rolled 12, 10 yards into the end zone. You got to be down there, especially with guys as fast as Litton and, uh, and and Drew Hartlob. Would like to see that step. If you can down a punt in this game, you know, this game this weekend, if you can down a punt inside the three, that is we've seen it in the past when, when there's a crowd like this, it could be an absolute game changer. So that's one thing you would like to see. You know, the special teams have been have been pretty solid so far. You would like to see them make those because that's a that's a splash play on special teams. And he's the guy who's shown the ability so far as a punter to, to really do some damage. Uh, something to keep an eye on here moving ahead. We will be all over this matchup. We've got a couple more episodes before the game, of course. We'll come to you with a midweek episode. Uh, we've got our preview episode later on and then post game deep into the night on Saturday. However, it turns out in Beaver Stadium, Sean and myself will be back on the microphones to break down that matchup for week three. Before we say goodbye, we've got our five star mailbag. Sean, you referenced it a bit earlier. It's about Room for growth here at this stage of the season. We'll jump into the, the question right now. 
We've seen solid play at positions for Penn State through two games, but which group has the most room for progress in the next 10? Very quickly, uh, growth so far at wide receiver, at linebacker, at safety, um, in terms of cultivating depth and, and doing some things. So those are the ones that we've probably seen uh, tangible results from week one to week two in terms of growth. Uh, the receivers obviously had a better week one than, than week two, but there's a lot of guys catching the football on Saturday. Um, still going to go back to the offensive line. You know, I think that that's one. We saw a lot of Eric Wilson. We saw some guys maybe moving around at the end of the game, getting Juice Scruggs in there at center, moving Miranda to guard. Bryce Effner was in there. thought it was interesting that they wanted to get Effner reps at, uh, at left guard and at right tackle just to get him going and, and get him, you know, you want those first six or seven guys to, uh, to, to be ready to go. So I think that that um, can help you in the long run, but in terms of being the starters, uh, that offensive line, it's going to be a, a huge atmosphere this weekend. So they're going to have to, uh, you know, be on their calls and, and get the communication. I know that, uh, you know, you're trying to be quiet when you're on offense at a home, in a home atmosphere, but at the same time, it's still 110,000 people there. So somebody's going to make some noise. So that offensive line, I think has the most room for growth at this point. Of course, quarterback, we, we talk about that all the time. Um, touched on it a couple times here in the earlier uh, in the uh, in the show. Um, so that th those are mine. Um, you know, you, you you saw some strides from the tight ends this week. I think they're going to continue to get better. But the most room for growth, if that offensive line starts clicking a little bit more. This this offense all of a sudden is pretty dangerous. Yeah, the tight ends is where I went to just in terms of production because you had uh, Theo Johnson catch, catch the late touchdown uh, from Taquan Roberson. But uh, overall, fairly quiet on the stat sheet for two weeks for that tight end group. They've been blocking as well. And if the offensive line does take that step forward and we see them grow as the season moves moves on, starting with the matchup here against an SEC opponent, that just will lift all ships on offense, right? That's going to be great for Sean Clifford. It's going to be great for that backfield. going to be good for the guys trying to get free downfield. I'm going to go to a spot that already looks good and already referenced it, defense event i still feel like because ak is only played one big 10 game I, I think you know john scott really feels like they're continuing to get him more comfortable uh in games working within their system and there's still a few things that he's got to think about that's going to all continue to be removed and he's going to be able to to act more naturally and freely out there and i think he's going to continue to flash more and then jesse lucetta is really the main reason i go there I, I want to see more of jesse lucetta at defensive end because to your point it's going from okay this is a rotational piece that penn state's going to need to jesse lucetta could be a guy that gives you an advantage in a close game that separates you being uh, a legitimate contender in the Big Ten and maybe beyond and not being that kind of a, a contender. And you know, there's a few guys on this roster, but I didn't have that, that can do that and can be that guy. But I didn't think that Jesse Lucchetto was going to be one of them starting to adjust my expectations around number 40. The more we see him do what he has done at defensive end and knowing full well that uh, there's a lot that he can work on between now and November. He makes a play like that against Auburn, makes a one-handed pick or something like that, takes it back. That building is going to be in trouble. I mean, that's going to press be, box going to be in trouble. Uh, press box is already in trouble. So, um, I, I did want to make. You, I did want to mention you. You mentioned a group that's already shown some growth. Uh, I'll go back to those linebackers. Um, Curtis Jacobs and Brandon Smith, I think, have the potential to be really, really good. Um, still not quite there, but they've made strides in that right direction. Um, you know, they're they're playing a little bit more free in week two or played a little bit more free in week two than they did in week one. And, you know, the, the, the talent is starting to show up there. Um, Ellis Brooks getting him back uh, against uh, an offense that's going to try and go downhill at you like Tank Bigsby, like they will with Tank Bigsby um, is big. Um, you, you still have questions about his coverage skills and things like that. But uh, the linebacker 
has potential if they if those guys stay on the field to uh to to continue to get better and be a really really strong unit in the big Ten. we've got a lot to look ahead as this game approaches we got players we've got coaches we've got practice availability you can follow along every day as we work our way to kick off online 247.com we've got a couple more podcasts coming your way be sure to look around for those wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to check us out on youtube subscribe watch our, our videos here we have a complete videos for every single show now thanks to our producer lance glenn thanks to my co-host sean fitz go check that out on youtube at lions 24 7 talk to you real soon right here on lines 24 7 podcast okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.